Hello, sweet listeners, fine tall skulls. I am Nick McGill. And I am Omen Said. We are the Feckless Momes. And this is a very special episode of Talk Tall to Me. So special, in fact, that we are not releasing it on Talk Tell to Me Tuesday. It's so special, it had to come out on its own day. Now, here's a little backstory for you. On Friday, November 19th, at 10.49 a.m., the Feckless Momes email received a message from Tull Management. Ding! Now, of course, Nick and I were terrified. We have uh, long joked that uh, our ultimate goal with this podcast was to get a cease and desist letter. We thought, well, this is it. We we are being served. It's It's been good. It's been We had a good run. Made it about halfway through. We're good. We're good here. But the email essentially said, hey, I've been listening to your podcast. Very enjoyable stuff. Would like to have a quick video chat with you. James. Short, sweet, cryptic. Okay. We we took a minute. I I sent it to Omen. I was like, this cannot be real, can it? Because I pinched myself right on the bottom. The second year we we were doing this, we had someone write in as Gerald Bostock. We never told you this, but someone claiming to be Gerald Bostock, he wanted to talk to us, and I said, you got to give us proof. And then the proof never showed up. So that's why we never. But it was a very, <laughs> it, was, it was a fun, fun ride there. For it a was, minute. it was. But that being said, we were a bit wary here until while I was having a panic attack, Raven did a little research into the email address and toll management and found that, in fact, James Duncan Anderson is in charge of toll management. And I, Omen, who is James Duncan Anderson? Oh, he happens to be the son of Jethro Tull of. No lullaby fame. He's That's the, right. He's the smasher down on the heads of the monsters with the big teddy bear. That's right. Clutch your rattle. He clutched his rattle. He clutched so, my rattle. So, ja- Ooh. Oh. so, so James reached out to us. We guffawed and and hyperventilated and mm-hmm. and we said, uh, yeah, that would be great." Yep. So fast forward to fast forward uh, a couple like a week later. And we hop on a Skype with James Duncan Anderson. And he was such a lovely down-to-earth fellow. And uh, and we were gripping the sides of our chairs and the insides of our booths, waiting for him to tell us off. And he and he didn't. He he said that he enjoyed the episode. He he did want to clarify a couple of factual points, which we, you know, acknowledged. And also acknowledged our uh, lack of understanding of the British recording industry, especially earlier on in our episodes. The nuance of of being in a band, yeah. But my two big takeaways from James were, A, he really liked the podcast and enjoyed it and was enjoying it almost despite, uh, almost in spite of himself. And, uh, and B, that he is really you know, working really hard to uh, pr- preserve and 
uphold the legacy of the incredible work of his father. And I applaud that work. It was it was awesome to talk to him. It was awesome to to get some facts and some little stories here and there. Finally, some facts. Finally, some facts about this this band, this mythical band. And on top of everything else, he he actually offered to pass on a couple of questions to one Ian Anderson. And so here are our top 10 tall questions written by the Feckless Moms, answered in fairly short <laughs> reply by Ian Anderson, but f- from the words of, uh, of, of um, the great Scottish Silky himself. You should call him a Scottish Silky? Yes, I meant a Selkie. <laughs> the Selkie Scotsman. The, the Selkie Scot himself, Mr. Ian Anderson. Question one, pertaining to backdoor angels. In our lyrical analysis, Warchild's Backdoor Angels has proven one of the most difficult nuts to crack. Can you provide any illumination on the seemingly allegorical lyric, In and out of the front door ran 12 backdoor angels, and possibly the song as a whole? To which Mr. Anderson replies, An imaginary setting where benevolent nurses care for the sick and injured. There is a spiritual dimension to the identity of the nurses. Maybe Florence Nightingale or Mother Teresa. Nick, amazing. I yeah. never would have connected that song to nurses. We talked that song in circles until it was dizzy, until yeah. we were dizzy. Yeah, but it's it is the the angels of the angel of mercy and and health and well-being. Yes. Absolutely. Like it, it reminds me of the stories of I think there was a there's a famous story from the American Civil War where there's there was an Ameri- there was a, there was a nurse who went out onto the battlefield and gave water to the dying. Mm. And they called her the angel of wherever it was that this horrible battle had happened. And it was just that care that she was showing that humanity that she was showing to the to the dying that that you know restored to them their humanity in a way. Yeah. I will forever listen to that song with different ears now. And I think you should too, listeners. Go to switchinear.com to get your new set of ears. Nick, the next question is about is about a bonus track. Mm-hmm. It is the song Broadford Bazaar. Mm. We wrote, what is the wee plastic cullen? We know the cullens are mountains on the Isle of Skye. Is it a plastic model of that mountain range or something more cryptic? To which he responds... I am making a bit of a joke about plastic mountain souvenirs. I've not seen such a thing in reality, but I imagine it would sell well in the local gift shops. <laughs> I think that's we were spot on with that, right? We were, yeah. Like little tchotchke mountain action figure. Not an action figure, a stagnant <laughs> figure. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like, an it's like and I think figure. we said this at the time, but it's, it's like the little replicas of the Eiffel Tower that you can buy literally yeah. anywhere in Paris. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I see that. I like that. The amazing thing with this is that we, you know, we often talk about Ian as an observational writer, but in this case, he was an extrapolatory writer. Yeah. Yeah. He took it to the next level. Exactly. I don't think that's terribly uncommon. You know, we've seen him reach levels of of absurdity by digression of, of assumption of the way things are. Of course. But this is such an interesting 
situation because we assumed, oh, there must be some actual, like there must be, this must be a well-known Scottish. Yeah, it's it's such a precise detail, you know, that it's it's clearly like he was walking through the street and he saw this, but he just imagined it. Yeah, it's great. It's so great. And who knows, maybe based on that song, there are now the the wee plastic coolant manufacturing company based on the Isle of Skye. <laughs> limited. We, we plastic coolants limited. Yeah. Get your own Talk Tall to Me merch version of the We Plastic Cullen on our Patreon. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll find a manufacturer for those. Yeah. Next question, possibly my favorite question and my favorite answer of these. Yes. Pertaining to the Lyricon Blues. So another bonus track off of the Heavy Horses album. This is one of our favorite instrumentals. Are there other songs in which the Lyricon features? And why not? And to remind listeners, the the Lyricon is a a digitally it's it's a it's a synthesizer in the shape of a clarinet, which has an amazing tone. If you can find Lyricon blues and listen listen yeah, to it, yeah, it's really cool. Ian writes, "That is the only time I ever used it. After all, it just sounded like a monophonic synthesizer, which is exactly what it was." <laughs> it's, I can't believe that he. Picked up an instrument he'd never played before. Yep. Played the, can I say, can, Nick, can I say played the tits off of it? Uh, I mean, you can. Can I say it on the podcast? I don't know what they were doing on the Lyricon, but thank God they're off now. He played the tits off the Lyricon and then was like, all right, that's great. Never again. Yeah. Another instance of stuff, something we've seen before, like just a certain style, just a certain finesse and instrument. And then, it, and then it's done. And then they, yeah. they move on, you know, but it's it's such a fun song. <laughs> I mean, you could almost uh, lesser minds might accuse such an action of being frivolous. But I think that oh, yeah. what I read into it is the the capacity to to take something unknown. And I, I, I don't know if Matt to say master it is the correct uh, is the correct way of saying it, but to really explore it in a way that honors the instrument and honors the song. And then move on to something else. It's, right. it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, it's not a it's not a freshman attempt. Like there is there, there is substance there. And I mean, if it weren't if it weren't so good, I don't think we would like it as much as we do. We we it's such a fun song, but I th- just think it's so funny and really true to Ian that he's like, yeah, I played it once. I mean, I right, got what right, I could right. out of it, and and I moved on. And meanwhile, we're fanboying over the lyrica. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> The next question is about a fan favorite song uh, here on the podcast, Old Aces Die Hard. Yeah. We asked, this piece appears to us as a conglomerate of other tall pieces, sharing ideas, themes, lyrics, and sounds. How intentional was this? Is this song designed as a repository of contemporary tall concepts? To which the maestro responds, that is a good summary. Several references to lyrical ideas that found their way into other songs of the period. It is another possible version of the Dark Ages song, Doom and Gloom. I gave it the title only after Lemmy died in 2015. I was working on the lyric book the following year and picked the title from the last line of some of the verses. Wow. Those of you not familiar with the 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 heavier metal side of things. Lemmy was an English musician, lead singer, bassist, mm. primary songwriter for the band Motorhead. And wow. 
And I, I believe that they had, I, they must have known each other. I believe I, I've seen something somewhere that they, they knew each other. They crossed paths at least to honor one that we lost, you know. And when you exactly you reach certain periods in life, and you know, by the time you're just out of college, people start, uh, people all around you start getting married, and then people all around you start having kids, and then yes, yes. L- the later and later, people around you start kind of dying off, and and it's there is a certain awareness there that it's it's kind of sweet that Ian would would think of of Lemmy there and kind of do it to honor him. Yeah, and I think also, you know, there's a very there's a kind of very British idea of, you know, oh, he he died with his boots on. Yeah, right. He died doing what he loved. And that he may have, yeah. Being being uh, tough to the end and all that. Yeah. Next question is uh, about a favorite of yours, I believe. You really like Journeyman, right? I sure do. We asked, a number of Tull songs appear to be inspired by train travel. Did the fact that you relied on trains heavily for transportation and even wrote a number of songs during those commutes instill a deeper appreciation for them? To which Mr. Anderson replies, I still use the train for much of my travel. In the UK, obviously, but in other countries too. Even on the east coast of the USA. I travel alone, so the train is good for me to read or work while traveling. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, that's kind of kind of what we expected. I like to think that maybe in the in the mid two thousands when I was training up or or down the the east coast, Ian could have been three seats away on the Amtrak. <laughs> on the Amtrak, yeah, <laughs> waiting for a, a soggy burger from the cafe car. Yeah, it's yeah. possible, and a and a bad coffee. Yeah. Oh, the very worst coffee. Or 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 tea. I wonder if he. I wonder if Ian that we didn't ask that question. Do you drink tea or coffee? <laughs> I'm just... Question six, you know, so we have been listening to Stormwatch over the, the last couple month or so. And uh, so we, we wrote question number six. Were there specific environmental or industrial changes in the British Isles that may have inspired Stormwatch? And he responds, the discovery and utilization of North Sea oil and other environmental and climate related topics inspired many of the songs especially relating to the highlands and islands of Scotland, where I increasingly spent some time back then. Yeah. Which again is, Spot on, yeah. you know, pretty much what we had thought. And, you know, and it's it's one of those, some of these questions, it's funny, it's like Ian's answers to them are confirmations of some of the stuff that we made up in our own heads. Right, yeah. But also it's like, well, yeah, there's a song called North Sea Oil. Of course, of course. Yeah. it's obvious. You know, once he's once he says it, then it's obvious. Yeah, right, right. But the, it seems like that one is that one makes sense. But everything else after North Sea Oil, North Sea Oil is the first song. Everything else after that kind of expands and becomes more yes. more exaggerated and 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 bloated with allegory. But but I mean, all of them could be applied to something. I would not be surprised. And I imagine that. You know, I mean, clearly a lot of them are inspired by Sky itself and the right, and right. The, the Hebrides and the Highlands. And I imagine that there is a, since, as he says, he was spending a lot of time back in those spots at that time, that the contrast between those remoter areas and then leaving those remoter areas to travel the world and coming back to them, you would not only have the contrast between, you know, more industrial areas and those quite kind of untouched, quote unquote, yeah. areas, 
you would also see incremental changes more starkly if you, you know if you see a place and then you leave for three months and come back and then you leave for three months and come back you see the gradual changes more clearly than people who are there all the time sure yeah absolutely yeah it's he he was experiencing it in in jolts and it definitely makes sense to be inspired like every time you come back oh that's something to inspire me now oh that as opposed to like you said being kind of in that that lull of well this is where i live and you get you get used to things yeah right uh, our next question we're getting a little more broad here over the years what song has proven to be the most flexible and adaptable to different styles and instrumentation to then be played in new and exciting ways in concert. To which Ian replies, somewhat to my surprise, probably Aqualung, which has been performed in different ways at different times. <laughs> I, can't, I mean, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise. No, you it know, makes total sense. Aqualung and Locomotive Breath are the standards. Right. At, at every concert, at every right. other concert. So. And so almost just by virtue of being played the most out of the whole canon, they would be reworked the mo- the greatest number of times because as new musicians and new lineups of instruments come in, yep, of course that makes sense. Yeah, and also, like I I I have no experience playing a, a show over and over the same things over and over, but I imagine you you eventually want to change it up. Well, even on our show, which we have done now a hundred and fifty something times, that's true. We, we have evolved. Yeah. We have evolved and not not on purpose. I was just going to say unintentionally evolved. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, maybe maybe there's a bit of a tweak and an evolution and then all of a sudden you're playing Aqualung on a Glockenspiel. And and someone notices it for like after they hear it three times that way, they're like, "Hey, let's do that now." Right. You know, so, they, someone notices it. Uh, Ian, are you aware that you're playing Aqualung <laughs> on the Glockenspiel? Actually, that'd be a credit pretty cool rendition of it. I, I would like to hear that. Or the harpsichord. Ooh. Mm. So over the years, we've seen, of course, the different the influences of different books and stories. Poets. Yeah. Poets influence the work of, of Ian Anderson in, in his writing. And so we asked him, what media are you currently consuming that brings you joy? And he responds with exactly what I expected. <laughs> Reading five of our national newspapers every day, different political views and opinions, doesn't exactly bring me joy as such, but keeps me involved and engaged in these changing times. I think doesn't exactly bring me joy is probably <laughs> the driest thing anyone has ever said. What a what a staunch workhorse. If, I know. I'm I'm miserable when I'm reading the newspaper. I'm I'm only happy when I'm playing in the studio. If I'm not playing in the studio, I'm grumbling on the train well, until I can. <laughs> I know that was a bit of an extrapolation, but uh, well, I just if I read five national newspapers every day, I would be a wreck. Yeah, right. Yeah, I I had to stop listening to political podcasts because I was so cranky. Yeah, yeah. I just I listened to the BBC World Service and the Marketplace Morning Report and and das about it. Yeah, the rest is all depressing. But it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see when the Zelgene comes out in full. Uh-huh. In a couple of months. But it'll be interesting to see what are the modern news stories and themes that have kind of, you know, the themes of our times that have wound their way in, especially knowing that he is such an avid reader of newspapers. 
<laughs> newspapers. Newspapers. And and also especially because it all has a biblical theme. Mm. Yeah, see how he ties those together. It's that's yeah. that's pretty cool. Very interesting. Uh, next question, uh, the penultimate question. What songs or pieces from the Tull Canon currently bring you joy to play, whether it's live or just in your personal playing day to day? To which Ian replies, Well, there are many that I play sometimes just for fun, like Bourree and other instrumental pieces, and some of the acoustic songs which I can play by myself without the rest of the band around. Boy, I'd, I'd love to just sit in the corner and listen to that. <laughs> like a creeper. Be wearing yeah. one of those white, like, Tyvek suits that they wore on the A-Tour, just sitting in the corner. You could... Well, no. <laughs> I think you'd have to ship yourself in a box like Giacomo from Shakespeare's Cymbeline. And... Punch a couple of holes in there and right. yeah, bring some goldfish crackers. That'd be fine. Yeah. And, well, and, of, and of course, it makes, you know, he's not going to... It doesn't make sense for that he would play pieces that are primarily supported by the electric guitar or the piano or right right or the bass it makes sense that he would play the bits that he plays you know that he right. has more of the more of the driving musical force behind yeah i wonder i wonder if don ringill is in there if he just sits down be. with the acoustic Oof. that'd be really nice that'd be really nice to hear just ian sitting there with the acoustic and playing that song and we'd be making the seagull noises oh yeah yeah i'll i'll do the seagulls you do the thunder Okay, perfect. I always love doing that. And then we'll get Francis Wilson back in to do the uh, to do the shipping report. It'll be great. It'll be, the, 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 we'll get the band back together. Oh, <laughs> the seagulls won't come back. They refuse. <laughs> okay, final question. We asked, "Dream set list. If you didn't have to keep fans in mind and there were no musical constraints, what would you choose to play in a concert?" And he responds. The one attached, which is good enough for now. And he attached the set list for the current tour. Which is amazing. Set list 2021, the Prague Years Czech Tour October production with video. We start with setup music and video intro. Yeah. <laughs> then we go into Nothing is Easy, Key of C. Amazing starter. Four minutes. Followed by Love Story, Key of G. Three minutes. How far, do, would you, if you were in concert, would you need would you need those keys? That's I've never thought about that before. I don't play music, so I wouldn't know. But like, that's really well, interesting. I think that you know the likelihood is that each of these songs has been played in numerous keys. Oh yeah, yeah and it yeah. also has to do with uh, because of the capoing of the guitar, mm -hmm. which Ian is very fond of. Very capo, very capo pro, pro capo, pro capo. It might have to do with, you know, where, where the capo was set. Sure, It's also right. just a good reminder. I mean, you know, if there's anything you can do to avoid musicians starting to play the same song in different keys. <laughs> just everybody know where to start. Yeah, yep. that makes sense. Yep. After Love Story, we have the Thick as a Brick medley. Amazing. Key of F, seven minutes. Living in the Past, Key of C, four minutes. Hunt by Numbers. Ah. Woof, that's a later it. one. I like it. Hunt by Numbers is off of com yeah yeah key of f sharp Ooh. four minutes beret key of d five minutes there we go black sunday off of a delightful. off of a another semi later one key of e six minutes my god key of a six minutes and then that rounds out the first act 
First act at about 45 minutes, and then we have an intermission. Then we open with clasp. Key of B flat, four minutes. Clasp is off of Broadsword and the Beast, right? I believe so, yeah. The clasp. Yeah, I love it. Wicked Windows. That's off of .com. Also .com, six minutes. The Zealot Gene. Ladies and gentlemen, the Zealot Gene, four minutes. Then Pavane. Nice little ditty. Key of A, four minutes. Songs from the Wood. Yep. Absolutely love it. Five minutes. Aqualung orchestral version. To his point regarding how many different times Aqualung has been performed in uh, in different different ways. Absolutely. Ten minutes for that bad boy. Then we have the encore, which leads into locomotive breath. Seven minutes. Obs. Obviously. And then the Dam Busters March, four minutes. So we just listened to a snippet of it from the Madison Square Garden, the crazy Madison Square Garden show from 1978. Yeah. I cannot even imagine how different the one that they play on this tour sounds. Oh, it must be must be something to, to hear. Yeah. And what yeah, an interesting yeah. choice, too. Yeah. How fun. How fun to throw that in after Locomotive Breath. That's where they end with Dam Busters. And then, of course, obviously the Cheerio with the, the bows and the outro, etc. To which is allocated... A single minute. Single minute. Well, Cheerio is super short, so. Yeah. Yeah. And there we have it, a 49-minute second act. Boys, we have a minute to bow. Everyone go, go, go. (laughs) 49 minutes, so that's just, what is that, like an hour and a half, all told, just about? An hour and 34 minutes. Yeah. You know what, Omen? I'd go see that show. I would go see that show, and you should go see that show. (laughs) Proper safety protocol in hand, obviously. Indeed. So, Nick, there we have it. There we have the written-in interview with Ian Anderson, uh, answering some of our most burning questions in in a taciturn <laughs> but effective manner. I would expect no less from Mr. Anderson. <laughs> I would be shocked if he had written any more than this. <laughs> but we we super greatly appreciate it. We absolutely spread give our love and appreciation for James for reaching out to us, for facilitating this. And of course, Mr. Anderson, for everything he's done over the last 50 plus years, and also for taking the time to write to us. And to you, our dear listeners, for continuing to listen to Talk Tall to me, to uh, supporting Talk Tall to me, and ultimately do for supporting the great works, the oeuvre of Jethro Tall and Ian Anderson. And also, if we've got any new listeners who hopped on to listen to this podcast, Welcome. Please go go back and listen to our, our old stuff. Go pick your favorite episodes. I don't care, but stick around. We're, we're, we're doing more. <laughs> Indeed. Until next time, I remain Omen Said. I will forever be Nick McGill. Together, we are the two-headed beast, Feckless Momes. And this is the giant inflated balloon thrown out over the crowd at a tall concert. Talk tell to me. Say cheerio.